Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's Let's ride. For the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What is going on, everyone? Thank you for listening to another episode of the Incline Dodgers podcast. We are presented by Fansided. And as you all know by now, Major League Baseball is still locked out. We are going to break down the players' and owners' negotiations and meetings that occurred over this past week's stretch. We have a number of fan questions that we are going to answer. So thank you, listeners, for helping give us some topics because... We were supposed to have at least a week of spring training in the books now. And because baseball's still locked out, we don't get that. Uh, we're going to dive into some, some, some stuff right now. But first, let's get everyone into this discussion. So, David Rosenthal, I'll start with you. How's your week going? And what are your takeaways from Major League Baseball continuing to be locked out? Um, I'm not surprised, honestly, from Major League Baseball. Uh, you know, I was hopeful after hearing you know, the reports of the final negotiating uh, when they were in Florida, I was hopeful that they might be able to get a deal done, but from everything I've heard, it's, it's, I don't think they even wanted to get a deal. I think they did get closer. Uh, We'll dive into that a little bit later. Uh, They did cross some necessary hurdles and there is some uh, optimism going forward, but I, I think they were totally content with just not having baseball in April, trying to break the players union and getting a better deal for themselves. Uh, as for me, I am currently very under the weather right now, uh, so I'm powering through this podcast to everybody at home. I'm sorry if my voice sounds awful or more awful than normal, uh, but here I am, so uh, we'll get through this one. So, Jake Ryder, on the day of the uh, soft deadline, we'll call it, because they ended up extending it another day of February 28th, the players and owners met for 15 hours And though the media reporters made it sound like we were getting a lot closer the next day, as we know, it turned out they weren't as close as maybe some of these MLB insiders led us on to believe. That's true. And as we later found out, it looked like they were employing some sort of strategy from the owner side of things to try and make it seem like the sides were closer than they were and they were kind of feeding their um, their news through uh, Bob Nightingale. Uh, and even though that we didn't get a deal out of it, uh, Bob Nightingale staying up through the night to uh, update us on that situation was a was a heroic act, nonetheless. Um, uh, here's my here are my uh, thoughts on what happened. I don't understand how major league baseball or why major league baseball is acting like there are other forces at play here that are controlling what they do. It seems like they are acting as if they are abiding by some laws that they didn't set themselves. And that's, what's been frustrating about this whole thing. You know, they impose the lockout. 
They decided not to respond to the players for 43 days. They decided to um, impose a deadline and then revise that deadline when it looked like the sides were getting somewhere on this. And then they were the ones that decided to cancel games. So to me, it's just a lot of self-inflicted wounds. It's very frustrating. Um, like I said before, you know, I, I, I don't care as much about the nitty gritty of like who's right and who's wrong, but clearly, you know, I'm not saying I'm for the players or for the owners, but clearly there is a overwhelming, um, you know, problem with the fact that the owners are basically holding the sport hostage in a lot of ways. Because if you think about it, if they were to have negotiated from the moment they locked the players out and they were discussing it, you know, one to two times every week and really getting somewhere, then you wouldn't have had this sort of mad dash at the end where it's all being crammed into one week and in a few days, and then you wouldn't have had to cancel uh, the first week of games. So it just makes absolutely no sense. It's frustrating if you're a fan. And it's just really annoying that we're that we're going to have another shortened season. One of our top listeners, you guys are all great, but Ryan at Catch the Blues on Twitter would like us to discuss the CBT. Why do players believe a higher CBT would benefit the game um, when in when in reality uh, they should act? When in reality it acts like a soft cap. Seems like players should want them to add some type of salary floor. The one thing that I'll say about this is that I feel like the, the reason the players may want a higher ceiling is because in a lot of cases, some owners will be reluctant to spend money if they're going to hit that soft cap you were talking about and then ultimately get penalized for it. So I feel like the players are saying we want owners to be able to spend more freely. And quite frankly, they were spending a ton right before the lockout happened. I mean, the amount of money that was dished out right before um, MLB locked out the players is a true testament to not only like how wealthy these teams are. And I'm not just talking about like the big market teams, like the Dodgers, the Nets or the Yankees or the Red Sox. I'm talking about like the Mariners and the Blue Jays and those teams shelling out big money for big uh, free agents that they locked up right before the deadline. So the idea that these owners have been hit by the pandemic, which I'm sure they have, but in the grand scheme of things, they really haven't been hit at all. Yeah. Uh, to the question of why the players would want a higher CBT line. Uh, I mean, you just have to look at last year where the San Diego Padres outspent the New York Yankees. I forget which player brought that up, but a, a player brought that up on Twitter and that's a great point. I mean, in no universe normally would the Yankees be outspent by someone like the San Diego Padres. Who Anybody, really. Some could consider them a small market team. Uh, others may not. But they're, they're, I view them as a middle-of-the-road you know, spenders. Obviously, recently, they've shelled out close to a billion dollars for just their left side of the infield. But the only reason the Yankees weren't uh, you know, outspending anybody last year is because they wanted to get under the CBT line to reset their penalties. Uh, that is why the players want a higher CBT line. Yes, that could lead to more, even more discrepancy in spending with the top teams spending even more and the lower teams, the, the, the low spending teams not uh, adapting. So it could, it could lead to even more uh, lack of, uh, of parity, I guess is the word 
uh, in the league in terms of spending and, and success and talent. But from a player standpoint, you want teams to be able to spend more without be getting penalized. It's pretty simple. Yep. I mean, that is exactly why the owners are trying to minimize raising this competitive balance tax. The players wanted around 240. I think they would settle for 230 million. MLB's latest offer, the unions or the owner side, I think they offered 220 million, which uh, according to like all the player side, that was like a slap in the face, just too low. David hit the nail on the head. The, just the discrepancy of the top of the spenders, like the Dodgers, the Yankees, Padres too, versus like the Pirates, Tigers, who are now moving up, but they the last decade or so weren't spending and so on. Orioles, you're just going to see a wider gap between the two teams. It's not going to incentivize these smaller market or cheaper owners because they all make a lucrative amount of money to, to, uh, get rid of that gap and uh, the salary floor is definitely something they need to implement but the owners would probably rather die than ever have yeah that that's that's never gonna place. happen ever yeah and it's a shame because you look at the nba it's not the most perfect model but it's definitely far superior than mlb because at least all the owners are willing to spend in the nba i mean nfl too it's way more competitive there, there is, like I said earlier, though, there is like there, you guys should have optimism for a deal getting done. Uh, Jesse Rogers on Twitter, uh, ESPN writer, basically went through like all the players union concerns from January. And MLB is basically hit on all of them. Uh, raise the minimum salaries to around 650,000 done players. Uh, the owners are up to 700 K pre-arbitration bonus pool. There's a discrepancy in how big of a bonus pool it is, but they've agreed. MLB has agreed to it. Yes. To a DH. Uh, they wanted expanded postseason from 10 to 14. I think they're at 12 right now. Uh, remove indirect draft pick compensation for free agencies uh, done and make significant changes to the draft to disincentivize tanking. Uh, they've done that by basically implementing a lottery. Uh, the only, the only thing left is the CBT line. The rest is pretty much agree agreeable to both parties. Uh, and this CBT line, they're not that far apart either, which, which in turn, essentially, this is just MLB trying to, to, to squeeze out what they can from the players before they will come to a deal, I would guess within a month. But this is what's infuriating about this. If MLB was willing to come to the table on all of the things you just mentioned, why the hell have we waited all this time to do this? It makes absolutely no sense. I get it from a bargaining standpoint, I guess, from MLB's point of view, they wanted to take the players to the nth hour and maybe the players, they thought the players were dumb and would just accept any deal that they, you know, were willing to put out there so that they wouldn't eventually lose games. But it's just so stupid to me that the, the politics back and forth is just ridiculous. And to, to hear MLB be like, yeah, we'll, we'll come to the table on all these things you want. Okay. Why didn't this happen a few months ago? Why are we up against it to the point where we have to lose games? It's just so the whole thing is flawed and it, and it pisses me off. I can't answer that part. Cause I don't know why they I can answer that part. The two months. You, you know why they didn't meet for two months? Yeah, I know exactly why. I've said this on the show before. I said this on Twitter. It takes eight owners to veto any kind of a deal. So when you factor in these cheap owners, I made a list. Pirates, Orioles, Guardians, Marlins, A's, Rockies, Twins, Diamondbacks, Tigers. That's nine right there. Uh, 
And that's just off the top of my head. Those guys are in control led by Dick Monfort, who's been representing them. They're not going to agree to anything that they don't want to. They're holding the sport hostage, the other owners hostage and the players hostage and the fans hostage. Those guys are why this has not gotten done. They are content with missing games, uh, missing a month, two months to get whatever possible best deal they can get. They don't care about anything other than not spending and getting the most money in their pockets. It's those owners. But that doesn't explain why they didn't come to the table. Or is that what you're saying? That they no, prevent it? Because they if, they prevent- had, if they had come to the table and done this, let's say a month or two ago, then it's like, well, okay, we got this far. Why are we not doing the final step? So now it looks like, okay, we made progress. Now we're almost there. It's all an optics thing. They, they knew. No, they I know. That's what, that's, that, that's what pisses me off about the whole thing. Is yeah, that it should. It's they're, they're playing politics. They're playing optics. It just sucks. The whole thing stinks. And, and for, for those owners to, to hold everything hostage is, is awful. But I don't understand how that, why, why that would prevent them from coming to the table anyway and basically icing the players out for a month or two. Well, I mean, it's, again, it's, it's, if they had come to these, this progress that they made over the last week, a month or two ago, then it looks even worse for them. Cause right now it's like, they got away with not being able to come to the table for a month and a half. It's like, well, we don't have a deadline yet, but now did they, but did they get away with it though? I mean, everybody hates Rob Banfred. Everybody hates the owners, all the, everyone's on the player side about, I mean, the I shouldn't say everybody, but the majority of the people are on the player side about this thing that they, they've, they've tried to preserve their optics. And they thought that, that basically feeding things through Bob Nightingale, that they were close was going to help with that and make the players look bad, but it completely backfired. I agree. And they're never going to win the optics battle. And they know that the thing is, they just don't care. They don't care what people on Twitter say. That's a bigger, it's a bigger issue. I I mean, I agree. Yes and no. I, I don't know if I necessarily agree that the owners are just cool with losing all these games. I do think it's more of a competitive nature where the owners, they don't want to be the losers because they don't want the media pushback. And that's why the players are standing their ground a lot firmer this go around because the last time they had to agree on a new uh, CBA was 2016, I believe. And the players just gave in right away. And there was so much pushback from the media. They called Tony Clark a pushover. They essentially said the owners put a full-on blitzkrieg on the players because the deal was just that lopsided. I mean, you look at the players, they agreed to a 575K minimum wage salary. And now they're trying to get up to 700K, which is... They're trying to get up to 775K. They got offered 700K, which still is far behind what they should be getting. But it's way more than they've ever gotten. So yeah, it, doesn't, could... it doesn't work like that. Why doesn't it work that's that exactly way? That's exactly how because a negotiation they've works. Been, they've been behind pace for decades. No, that's true. I get it. But but the other way to look at it is, is that they're getting they're going to they're going to make more money than they've ever made. It doesn't Regard, keep up. regardless if this is a over $100,000 raise for these minimum players. That's, that's the highest increase in any CBA in MLB history. If they were to accept well, the 700K right now. Yeah, because they've been so far behind inflation. I mean, look at all the minimum wage salaries for every other major sport. I mean, NBA players are pushing a million. NFL players are making There's far fewer. There's far fewer NBA that's... players. I mean, it can, it can be both things, right? It can be a, an, 
a, a really significant increase that they've never seen before, but it can also be not enough. I mean, both are true, I think. Yeah, I far think the bigger does, issue is, is far fewer doesn't league cut league. it with me because I think MLB stadiums are far is, is, bigger. And MLB stadiums are at least double fair. the size and double the game. So saying there's far fewer players to play, far fewer players to play doesn't fly. Well, I mean, that's just what they're, that's how they're looking at it from a financial perspective. That's not saying, I'm not saying it's fair or not fair, but that's, that's the reasoning is there's way more MLB players than there is NBA or, or even NHL. Uh, but again, I, I think like what this is a this is a beyond fair agreement so far, minus the CBT line. Obviously, I don't know all the fucking ins and outs to all of this stuff, but on these few points, I think MLB did move a lot in the past week. I think they always knew they were gonna move. I think the timing of their movement towards the players union is deliberate and calculated. And now that they have moved thus far. The, the players and probably the owners too are going to start to get antsy about how much of the season is going to get missed. And the owners are hoping that the players are going to cave on some of the other more significant issues. I, again, I, I think the owners knew they were going to do this the entire time, come up on minimum salary, uh, include the DH uh, expanded playoffs, everything that we've mentioned here, I think is deliberate and not all of a sudden. Can I also make one more point about why the owners may may not care to lose games or why why it wasn't an incentive for them to make sure that they got a deal done before losing games? This is a really interesting point that Ken Rosenthal made. He wrote in his article in The Athletic, April is typically a month of low attendance and revenue for many clubs, particularly those in colder climates. Local television contracts generally do not require clubs to issue rebates to their networks until about 25 games are missed, according to a source, source with knowledge of such deals. And the big money in the league's nation, uh, in the league's na- national television contracts come from the postseason. So, as I stumbled through that, what I hope you got from that is the fact that they're the, the games that they're missing are not really going to take a hit um, in terms of the TV deals that the, these owners uh, have made with their respective networks. So that's why there's no incentive for them to get something done as soon as possible. But once you hit that 25 game threshold, then you start to worry. So they're not worried right now. Yep. Makes perfect sense. We're probably going to lose 25 games minimum if we're being honest, because I yeah. don't think they're that close. They might, the media and a lot of fans might have wishful optimism that they're close, but they're not close. Last second, they threw in a pitch clock. They threw in banning the shift, the 12 team playoff format. The players begrudgingly accepted that because that just means more money for the owners. The only thing that, and they want to make the bases bigger, which I don't really get that rule either for safety. But look, again, I think all of that is deliberate. I think throwing that in the end of, the, of these negotiations was purposeful to throw the players off, to make them not accept a deal yet, uh, and, and basically throw them off. Because again, I don't think those, those eight, whichever eight or nine or 10 or 11 owners are holding this sport hostage, they didn't want a deal yet. They want the players to feel pressured. And if, if the players are going to feel pressured, then they'll be more likely to accept a deal more suited for the owners. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the players union are, are, are not going to back down. I think this is going to backfire and reverberate towards the owners for years to come uh, because you don't, they don't know exactly what kind of damage they're doing to their fan base right now. 
they're not going to back down. And one name that hasn't been brought up that is really helping the players out this go around is Scott Boris. He's essentially their outside consultant. And he's telling his guys like Max Scherzer, who's attending these meetings, don't back down. It's basically Scott Boris versus Rob Manfred at this point. Rob Manfred is just a puppet. He doesn't do anything. He is just a fall guy for the owners. That's all he is. He's not a unifier. He's obviously not a good well, negotiator, that's the, although that's why that's why he, he should was elected be because commissioners. He's pro-union ties and, and negotiating, but he's not anything other than a puppet. Which is weird because Adam Silver is a commissioner and is the complete opposite of a puppet. The guy continuously is outspoken saying he's with the players, but at the same time, he's willing to work with the owners too and make sure both sides come to a fair agreement. When you got Rob Manfred, who essentially kind of denounces the players and views them more as like commodity. And this is the same asshole who said the world series trophy is just a piece of metal. Also, he was way too smiley and laughy at that <laughs> press conference. God. I mean, I know it wasn't, it was out of context. He was joking with a reporter, but about something unrelated, but it's just everything he does is, is, is cringy and terrible. Yeah. Um, is there anything else we got to you guys want to talk about with the lockout? I'm kind of burned out other than, you know, two series will be canceled the, for the Dodgers. It was going to be the Rockies for three and then the Arizona Diamondbacks for three. And that's essentially a four and two or five and one start for the Dodgers, almost guaranteed now just down the drain. I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just waiting for, you know, a deal. I have nothing left to say in this matter. I think it's going to get done in the next month. I think we'll miss a month, maybe six weeks of games, and then they'll they'll figure it out. It just sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds especially, about right. Especially, especially if the Dodgers win the World Series again. Don't care. If you think short season doesn't count, then just boycott it before first pitch. Yeah, seriously. I don't want to hear any of that crap ever again. Like, if – if we miss one game, which we've missed the first week, if you've ever called the Dodgers a Mickey Mouse title or it doesn't count or bubble, you don't get to celebrate if your team wins, period. You're a giant fat hypocrite if you do. Next question comes up from at Sam underscore Shearer 99 on Twitter. Which current MLB player would you want to replace Manfred as commissioner when he retires? No player is going to replace Rob Manfred. The owners pick the commissioner. That's all I need to say it's, on that. It's true. So supposed to be a fun question, David. <laughs> <laughs> I did come with an answer. I went with Alex Wood. I put Alex Wood down oh, too. Shit. Okay, cool. Well, I said my reasoning for Alex Wood was he's a very outspoken guy, but in an intelligent way. You know, he doesn't have to be a dick or condescending to get the point across. I liked what he said on Twitter just the other day. How MLB is pumped to the media to say that there's momentum to make it basically look like it's the player's fault when the me- when the deal doesn't get done. So I just like what Wood I like what Wood has to say. Um, I also put some other names down because um, I also picked Alex Wood for the same reasons you just mentioned. Um, these are just other ideas. Justin Turner I have on here. Um, Mike Trout um, and I know he's not playing anymore, but. I don't know. I just feel like David freeze would be a good commissioner. Yeah. Um, Curtis Granderson I have down here. Um, and then Clayton Kershaw for obvious reasons. And then my, my dark horse candidate is Austin Barnes. 
Yeah, he's he'll be a manager. I, I kind of have a feeling about. Yeah, Lawrence. I have a I, I have a feeling too. He'll be a, he'll be a good manager. Next up from at Ray and Man twenty two on Twitter. Will Trevor Bauer pitch for the Dodgers or anyone? I think he is. I I you know I I don't know for sure, but if I had to tell you yes or no right now, I think he is going to pitch for the Dodgers. I mean, anyone is yes. He's not done as a baseball player for the Dodgers. Like I say, every other week, just have to wait and see what the league does with the suspension. Don't think there's going to be much of a suspension at this point. And then it comes down to the Dodgers making their own decision. I would be, um, I would be shocked if he pitched and shocked if he didn't pitch. I think, I think both, I think both outcomes are, are equally strange, but um, my guess would be that, um, he, he will, he will pitch. I think the Dodgers, you know, have to at some point either stand by their decision to sign a guy like Bauer and, and take what comes with it or, or come out and distance themselves from, from the whole thing. But I guess it's all, it all is depending on, on how MLB handles it. And right now they've got a lot of, they've got a lot more on their plate than Trevor Bauer. All right. Next up, we got a few questions from Matt at, Dub Quacker Seven, who also left us a five-star review, I saw just the other day. So thank you, Matt. That reminds me, if you like the podcast, please please give us a five-star rating as well. Helps us go a long way. But the question is: most and least favorite team rival players of all time. Who's my most liked and and least liked player from a rival team? Is that the question? Yeah. Anybody on the Giants, I can't stand. So, like the whole team. But you have to pick one that you like. Oh, I have to pick. I have to pick someone I like from from the Giants. Well, there's other rivals. Oh. It doesn't necessarily have to be the Giants, Padres, Astros. But that's not a rivalry. The Astros. The Padres pick. is a rivalry. Oh, oh, hell no! Wait a I second. I mean, it is. Are you the one for like for a year that said the Padres haven't proven anything yet? They haven't. They're they How's they it are a rivalry. Because it's they're in the division, they're that in California. They're they're trying to challenge the Dodgers for NL West supremacy. We played them in the playoffs. We kicked their ass. It's a rivalry. So the it's Rockies a one-sided, are a rival. It's it's one sided right now, but it's a rivalry. So the Rockies are a rival. I mean, te- by definition, yes. Uh, by practice and reality, no, not right now. Anyone so, in the NL West is a rival. That's just well, how it who, works. All right. Well, let's start with this. Who do you who do you consider a rival team, Kevin? Besides Santa, the Giants, the Yankees. What? Why? Because, I mean, because what? of because of the because of the World Series that they've that fifty they've been years in? ago. Fifty. They last played in eighty-one. Okay, forty years ago. That's more of a rivalry than the Padres. They go no, way back. Oh, come on. That's like saying Lakers and Celtics aren't a rivalry because they haven't played in a final for 10 years. That's, that's insane. Lakers, Lakers, Celtics is Dodgers, Giants. That's the equivalent. Well, they haven't played in 10 years. Dodgers, Yankees is probably as historic played of a World they, Series rivalry as it Kevin, ever will be. Kevin, they play, the, the Lakers and Celtics played in back-to-back finals. So have like, the Dodgers it, and Yankees. Yeah, but much longer. They don't, the Dodgers and Yankees don't play each other during the regular season ever. I don't think that matters. Baseball is a whole different element. The uh, interleague is relatively new. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, if you consider that that a rivalry, sure. But I mean, there's no way you can sit here and say Cardinals that the Dodgers is definitely Padres third. isn't a rivalry. 
it's not a rivalry. I to mean, be a rivalry, there's got to be some type of balance in competitiveness, not just Dodgers dick slapping the Padres every year. I don't know how to argue this anymore. Cardinals so, is more of a rivalry than Padres. I think. I I think which of our which of our uh, what kind of I think we should change the question to be like whatever team you know opposes the Dodgers any team that isn't the Dodgers what are some of your favorite players and what are some of your least favorite players around the league that aren't Dodgers I think should be the question and um, I I truly like some players like. Uh, Bryce Harper, I really like. Um, I even like Manny Machado to some degree. I think he is. I think he's a decent player, um, even though he was a little bit frustrating for for the Dodgers. Even though that's contrary to popular belief, um, he just he just wasn't as impactful as as you kind of needed him to be. Um, but uh, what are what are some other players you guys like or dislike? Okay, so for me uh, on the Giants, if I had to pick one right now today, it'd probably be Logan Webb. Uh, I can't stand him. I don't like his face. I don't like that he cheated. Uh, I don't like that he's good. And uh, one player on a rivals team that I do like is I like Jake Cronenworth uh, on the Padres, who are a rival. Uh, Kind of an underdog story for him. He also went to the University of Michigan, so I'm a little bit biased. Uh, But I I like his talent, and he's not very necessarily annoying. So I like him. Giants-wise, anyone on the 2014 Giants, I hate them all. So it's a collective answer. Buster Posey, respect the talent, but he just historically torches us. So he'd probably be my least favorite. I still get so mad when I think about how Madison Bumgarner closed it out against the Kansas City Royals and won the World Series. Uh, Most liked, Evan Longoria, Long Beach State. Enough said. Uh, uh, Chris Bryant, too, because he played for the Giants for a quick second. Uh, Next up, rank the best uniforms. So you can just do your top three because there's a lot of them out there. Best uniforms. Well, the best uniforms, um, you have to throw the Dodgers in there. Um, I really like the Cardinals uniforms, super classic with the bird on the bat. Um, Yankees are an easy answer just because they've always been classic. They've never done any sort of alternate Jersey. Um, they've always kept it, you know, home whites and gray aways. Um, but I've always said this, um, my least favorite uniforms are probably the diamondbacks. I think they're, they're what they've changed their uniforms into are just complete trash. Um, but what they had during the early two thousands, the Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, Luis Gonzalez, diamondbacks, the world series winning diamondbacks, those uniforms were dope. And I wish that they kept those cause those were awesome. Um, also the old, like nineties, early two thousands rays uniforms were sick. Like the devil rays. Like I really, I really like those throwbacks. And then the other, the other, um, uh, team that I wish would, would have stuck with their old uniforms was the Marlins, the Florida Marlins with the pinstripes and the black alternates. Those were sick. What they've changed into are really bad. Um, so that, those are, that, those are my uniform takes. Okay. I'll give you my top five. Uh, Dodgers home jerseys, uh, Oakland A's Kelly green jerseys are elite, uh, Chicago white Sox, uh, the gray ones, New York Yankees away jerseys, gray classic, uh, and then honorable mentions. I kind of like the Rockies, the best ones. Those are, those are pretty heat. And I like the pirates, black jerseys and the Cardinals white jerseys. Dodgers, Yankees, Cardinals, those are my top three. 
The worst is anything that the Arizona Diamondbacks wear currently. Yeah, but they're like they're like inaugural uniforms when they like first became a franchise were pretty electric. Yeah. Well, then they changed them. Now. Yeah, but when they like won a World Series, those uniforms were were great. Look ahead to the 2023 free agent class. Do you guys have any Dodgers targets? Well, we haven't really even finished 2022 offseason yet, so it's really hard for me to talk about 2023. So I won't give you a great answer, but a few names that stood out to me, Chris Sale, would love Chris Sale. If he opts out, Nolan Arenado at third base, can't go wrong with that. And if you can get him on a cheap flyer because he's awful right now, maybe you add Craig Kimbrell to the bullpen. I don't really like anybody you just said there. I don't really have a, a, a target yet. I haven't really looked into it, uh, but I think keeping Trey Turner is, is a priority at this point. So he'll be a free agent after this coming year. I think you need to keep him. I, I would like to keep Trey Turner. I think that he's a lot more valuable than folks are giving him an opportunity or, or that the folks are giving him credit for. Um, I think that what we saw um, from the second half of last season was a very uh, small sample size, but already we could see how electric he can be. The only thing that I can, you can really knock him for was that he didn't really show up in the postseason. but I have to, I have to think he's already won a world series. He won one with the, with the nationals. I have to think that um, if he sticks around, he'll figure it out in the postseason and be just as electric as he is during the regular season. So I am totally on board with turn with signing Turner. Um, but it, I mean, again, it all depends on what happens with the new uh, CBA. Um, you know, will the Dodgers be able to keep Turner, Trey Turner, uh, Cody Bellinger and Walker Bueller. I mean, those are the three main guys that you're going to want to lock up long-term coming from at L a M F F L. Are there any changes you would like to see made to the MLB all-star week? That's a good question. I don't watch the all-star game. I have, I have a lot of thoughts on this. So you guys go ahead ahead first. Oh, should I go first? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So I had, um, a few thoughts on this. I think there needs to be, I mean, cause the home run derby is pretty great, but I think there needs to be some sort of um, skills challenge um, going on here. So here's a few of my ideas. So this skills challenge is a lot like what they do in the NBA, but like this one involves like bunts, singles, doubles, triples. You have like targets out in the outfield that you either need to hit or get in the vicinity of um, in order to um, execute whatever skill it is. So that's kind of an idea that I had. Um, And then I have another one kind of along the same lines called beat the shift uh, where you have guys try to go to the opposite field and and try and, uh, you know, either hit extra, get extra base hits or hit home runs uh, to the opposite field. Um, And then my two other ones, which I really like, um, are one of them is the Rob home runs challenge where like you take the best outfielders and you just hit them fly balls and see if they can, you know, rob them. Uh, and you kind of tally it up that way. Um, and then, uh, I'll run the bases challenge. So this either is you, you take the fastest guys in the major leagues and maybe you do like one event is like a, a dash down the first baseline to see who can run down the first baseline fast and, uh, the fastest. And then you do one where you see how fast they can run around the entire diamond. Um, and you, and you kind of, you know, do it like a, do like a race that way. So those are some of the ideas that I was kicking around in my head. Yeah. I like that. I like the concept of like a relay race. Uh, yes. you know, I, I think the goal is to stay healthy during the all-star break. So that might not be 
you know, the best idea in terms of something that would get approved, but I think that would be good. I, you know, I just want to see more. I want them to be able to expose more of the players' personalities uh, because that's an inherent issue that MLB is facing is the marketability of its superstars. And the all-star game is a perfect opportunity for MLB to showcase the personalities, the humor, the, you know, the, the people themselves more than just the players. Uh, and whether you can do that by having more events before the actual game uh, in it, I don't know exactly what you would do, but that's, it's lacking. Uh, and I, I really enjoy the, the all-star weekend. I like the red carpet. You can see all them, you know, coming in and talk to the reporters and, and just be actual humans instead of players. And I think they, they need to do a better job with that. My only other suggestion for the home run derby, you don't, you shouldn't be able to hit your next pitch until the ball from your last hit has landed. That, that's, a that good, is, that's a good one. That's a good that one. That is the only change we need. So after you hit, let's say, a home run, the guy should not be allowed to throw the next pitch until the ball lands because this last home run derby was a mess. You couldn't see where any ball was going. You didn't know how many home runs they had. They need to tighten that up. You want to you want to be able to appreciate that too. So would you then extend the amount of time that it that they have to I think you should do time. I think you should just do a certain amount of, of balls. Like outs, like they used or to swings, do. Swings. I like. I like the. I like the time thing with the timeout. I like. The, I like all of that. I just think maybe you need to extend it if you're going to do the rule where the ball has to land before the next pitch is thrown. Yeah, I. I, I liked it more with like the, you know, a certain amount of outs or, or pitches or something like that. I don't even want to answer the All Star question right now because I'm still rattled at your Dodgers and Padres rivalry comment. So I put a poll out there on Twitter. <laughs> In 10 minutes, Come on, dude. In 10 minutes, I already got 83 votes, which is probably double the apocalypse draft, which still David won. Hey, not to, not, not you don't need to slander 40, it just because you lost. 43 people responded to that or something like that. Well, it, let's to be fair, we we didn't do the poll, right? We like did it below something. So this was just an unfair ricochet shot. A hit job to try to negate my victory. So, anyways. I'm almost at a hundred votes and it's 80 20 split in favor of no, it's not a rivalry. So I don't know if it's the cold medicine or what it could become a rivalry. I'm not going to say it's not out of the realm of possibility, but to say that that is a rivalry, but then exclude the Dodgers and Yankees just had my mind blown. Dude, of course you're going to get a bunch of Dodgers fans that don't think it's a rivalry. Well, exactly. It's not, that, it's well, not... that's the point. It's a fan driven sport. No, the natural emotion is to say, no, it's not a rivalry because they suck. But when you go go to the games, when you see the two teams going at each other, they're in the same division, they're in the same state, it's a rivalry. Yeah, I think there's a difference between being a division rival and being and having a legitimate rivalry. I think there's... Yes, I would agree. This is rivalry, not division rival. That was never the question. What? A rivalry, <laughs> just because you're in the same division does not make you rivals. I mean, yeah, it does. I, I think I, I, I don't see how. So the Yankees. Uh, but, but, and- like, but like, I, I, I have to push back on this, David. Like, you can't, you can't then say the Diamondbacks and Dodgers are a rivalry just the same as the Dodgers and Giants are a rivalry. I'm not saying they're the same level of rivals, but they are rivals. They are rivals, but but is it is is it a rivalry? I know yes. it's semantics, but it does matter. 
it yes is my answer. It's not a fair rivalry. It hasn't been a fun rivalry for either team involved because one has just been beating the other's ass. Well, then it's then not been by, an entertaining rivalry, but is it a rivalry? Yes. By definition, they're in the same division. They're going for the same division crown. It's a rivalry. They play them 20 times a year, whatever it is. It's a rivalry. But how could it, how could it be a rivalry if it's lopsided? That just isn't that because the defini- it's lopsided doesn't mean isn't that's that not defini- a rivalry. But isn't that the definition of a rivalry that you no. have both no. going back and forth? No, not necessarily. In a good rivalry, you go back and forth. But in a, does, in a, in There's a, not even a Wikipedia page. For what? A Dodgers-Padres rivalry. Why would there be a Wikipedia page for that? Because there is one for the Dodgers and Yankees. Okay, actually, you know what? By de- by. Dictionary yeah, give me the def- defi- give dictionary it, def- can you read it please? <laughs> yes, I will because you're going to be very happy about this and it may cure your sickness. Thank um you. uh definition of a rivalry like the dictionary definition is a uh, competition for the same objective or for superiority in the same field. Literally what what it is. Well then everyone is a rival because they're all no. competing for a World Series. No, yes. well, I'm yes. talking on division level. You're not in the no. same division. The same superiority in the same field. So it wouldn't, the, the, uh, the angels would not be competing for the same field as the Dodgers are in terms of their division. Well, there's no rivalry there either. Oh my, of course there is dude. (laughs) Oh my God. There absolutely is. Yes. That great D backs giants rivalry. I love watching it every year. I didn't say it was good. (laughs) I never said it was good, but it's there. By dictionary definition, David is David is correct, but we know we're not talking about when you talk about a rivalry, it's it's more than just the dictionary definition of what it is. It's more about the the historical uh, aspect of it and and how how long these teams have been at it. I mean, you look at the Dodgers and Giants, they're virtually tied as to overall wins with with one club versus the other, which is why it's one of the most historic rivalries in sports. Now, I didn't say Dodgers-Padres is historic or monumental or entertaining to anyone outside the other two fan bases, but by definition and in practicality and reality, it's most definitely a rivalry. Absolutely not. What did they go, what did they go against <laughs> each other last year? Was it like 13 and 12? I think it was, something like that. Dodgers and Padres? Yeah. No, the Dodgers ran away with it at the end. They won like the last... Yeah, I think it was like seven. Eight of the nine or something. Yeah, but they started out behind. They still won by, I think, four games. Okay, so they went back and forth is what you're saying. For one year. So the Diamondbacks, because they beat the Dodgers in the regular season in 2017, therefore that's a legitimate rivalry too? I mean, it is a legitimate rivalry, but it's not a big rivalry. (laughs) I I don't follow. So the Dodgers and Braves have a rivalry because they played in back-to-back NLCSs. Uh... You could call it one. Yeah, sure. Now, now we're just being too loose here with rivalry. Sports yeah. rivalries are different than legitimate, like in life rivalries. Yeah. I didn't say that. We're talking about sports here. We're not talking about like politics or legal shit. Yeah. But the last couple of years, the Dodgers Braves has been a good postseason rivalry. Okay. But I'm, See now, there's just too many rivals. I don't like this. There's, there's a, it's a broad, it's a broad word. There's different kinds of rivals. There's a lot of nuance to it, but most of them are, yeah, rivalries. 
I, I gotta, I'm gonna drop this because we're never gonna agree. So the All Padres right, actually beat us in the playoffs. I don't care what your poll says, though. The, the poll is saying you're wrong, but we'll get back yeah, to that. Yeah, I just later. said I don't care what your poll says. <laughs> At official MMPN from the last 10 years, rank your top five most influential, important, or key players that have played for the Dodgers. Last 10 years. So 2012 and on. I actually had a hard time with this because I feel like there are some players that I just don't want to leave out. Um, so I'm just going to list all of them and then maybe you guys can, uh, can help me here. So here are my, here are my seven, or I should say, yeah, seven. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is, is one of them has to be Justin Turner has to be on there. Um, this one, I'm a little bit, I, I could go either way on it, but I put him on here. Adrian Gonzalez, um, yeah. just cause of what he meant to the, like we talked about, like how he kind of turned the culture around, um, Mookie Betts, um, just for the 2020 world series ring. And he was, he kind of pushed us over the top. Um, and then the final three that I have are Walker Bueller, Julio Urias and Kenley Jansen. Solid. That was very similar to my list. Yeah. I, I just, that. I just couldn't, I just couldn't, I didn't know who to cut yeah. out of that to make it a top five, but I had a, uh, the undisputed two top two for me were Clayton Kershaw and Justin Turner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those guys over the last 10 years have done overall the most for the Dodgers organization. And my second tier uh, after those two were Adrian Gonzalez as well. Culture changer started that whole era uh Mookie Betts, Julio Arias, and Walker Bueller. All right. I, I have the same top two as David. There's no debate about that. Clayton Kershaw, then Justin Turner. Number three, Chase Utley. The guy completely transformed the entire locker room. I don't know why you guys are laughing. I knew I knew we'd get a Kevin response to this one. Like, oh God. Like the go, Dodgers go went from a bunch of babies that got pushed over every playoffs to all of a sudden. It was Chase Utley who taught them how to run the bases properly. He gave them the heads-up defensive. What, by killing him at shortstop? <laughs> Players like Kike Hernandez and Corey Seager really looked up to him, and you could tell that it really elevated their game when the Dodgers went down 3-1 to the Braves in 2020. It was players like Chase Utley who mentored them to get out of this adversity. So that's an easy one. Number four is Corey Seager. Without Seager, they're not going to win the 2020 World Series. Dude literally carried them in the NLCS and World Series, but was also just a great player from his rookie year on, 2016, et cetera. And then number five, I don't think you guys said this one, Blake Trinan. Ooh, hell yeah. No way do the Dodgers – Tell me more. No way do the Dodgers (laughs) win the World Series either in 2020 without Blake Trinan because that was Dave Roberts' fireman – getting him out of any fire that escalated him inducing those double plays. The one against the Braves early on where JT tagged a, was it Riley? Riley. Yeah. And it turned it into a double play and the world series as well. Him closing out game two. Trinan was the guy Roberts needed where no matter how much he screwed up, Trinan was going to bail them out. So I went with him. Yeah, it's, I didn't even think to, to choose him, which is shocking, uh, knowing my background on the matter. But 
You're right. I mean, he's, he's, I, I said it when they signed him, he's been the missing piece for that Dodgers team since 2016. Uh, yeah. They had Morrow who was the closest thing to Trinan we've seen, but besides Kenley Jansen, they didn't have a guy they could just bring in and shut it down. So yeah, that's a, that's a very good addition. Well, that's it for the questions. So now it's either do our final thoughts or you guys do your other segments. You want to, what? <laughs> do you have an I, like I said, I've, I've been under the weather the past four days, three days. So I have not had time. Well, I've had time. I just haven't had the energy to find an idiot of the week or I haven't actually seen one uh, per se. So I don't have one. If you guys saw something, I would be more than happy to cede my authority on this segment over. But if not, I'm uh, I'm all good to go. All right, yeah. cool. 118 votes now, 83-17, no. So sorry, David. I vo- I I uh, I voted yes. <laughs> oh come on! <laughs> You're the guy that says yet. they need to prove it. Now they do need they do need to prove it. But not, but not a rivalry until you prove it. If well, it's like are we either going with the dictionary definition of it? No, or we're not. So we're not. No. Why are we not going with what? How can you say that we're not going with the dictionary definition? Because sometimes things aren't so literal. Okay. Again, the Dodgers and the Giants are by far their main one and only rival. But that doesn't mean you can't have smaller rivalries within Major League Baseball. That's, that's my only point. And the Padres, given what's happened over the last couple of years, given their proximity to Los Angeles, given they're in the same division, it's a rivalry. That's just what it is. It's one-sided right now, but it's a rivalry. From an emotional standpoint, the games do matter when they play each other. Now, yeah. I mean they they matter, uh, you know, emotionally from the fans' perspective, from the players' perspective. Um, they're, you know, they're grinding it out. the 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 meetings that the Dodgers and the Padres had last season were there was there were some of the most epic games of the year. So you have to go a little farther back than one or two years, though. Well, you you seem to be you seem to be dealing with some sort of arbitrary definition of it, where it doesn't really you you, you'd have to break it down of like, okay, so how many you know how many wins does each team need to be considered a rival to to be considered a rivalry? You know, where 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 the splits come down? How long have they been at it for? Um, do the games matter when they play each other? I mean, there's so many different factors that we're not even defining at this point. So it's pretty arbitrary. I'll give you three things that make it a rivalry. Do the Dodgers and Padres have a history? Yes. Well, it depends on what you mean by history. Yeah. Are you going by the dictionary definition of history or what? Do they, do they, (laughs) do they have a history? Can you go back in time and cite me multiple Dodgers and Padres and they have to be somewhat even, not just one-sided Dodgers and Padres historical moments. Well, historical is, I don't know. What, what's your definition of historical? Things it, that it happened ha- in the past or memorable things that happened in the past? It happened in the past. Then yes, they've been in the same division for a while now. <laughs> so yes, they play each other a lot. That, that's divisional rival, I guess, but that's not a rivalry. What about the four plus one game, Kevin? What about that? Good. That's one in favor of the Dodgers. Now give me one Padres. <laughs> Didn't Dave Roberts say it's a rivalry? I don't know. Dave Roberts also said Clayton Kershaw needs to close out game five of the NLDS. So is he really the guy you want to rely on? Yeah, I trust Dave. 
with like assessments like this, not really pitching changes, but pretty much everything else. Yes. The guy who chose to bat Steven Souza Jr. over Gavin Lux and Austin Barnes. Look, I could go either way on on the whole rivalry talk. I mean, yes, you know, you, you have to look at, me, you know, memorable historical games and how many of them have there been and are they punching each other back and forth like the Yankees and the Red Sox, for example. I mean, even, you know, even recently those teams have, you know, gone at each other's throats. There've been memorable iconic moments between those two franchises from both the Yankees and the Red Sox. So under that definition, the Dodgers and Padres don't, don't reach that level could it could it evolve into something like that? It certainly is heading in that direction with the way that the Padres are spending money and the way that they're acquiring talent. Um, the Dodgers will always be there. So it could evolve into something more memorable, but that's really what we're talking about. Are there memorable games between these two franchises over a long historical period of time? That's not necessarily the dictionary definition of a rivalry. All right, well. And on that. <laughs> Yeah, we're, that's a good way to close it out. Like yeah, I said, I, I tried. I tried to find an idiot of the week in the last five minutes. I scoured Molly Knight's timeline. Couldn't find anything noteworthy. So, congratulations, Molly Knight. You survived another week of not being my idiot of the week. <laughs> all right. Well, we were a bunch of babbling idiots this week. Sorry to all the listeners. I hope this you guys, week. Hope you guys had a good time. Regardless. Um, what do you mean by this week? What's the definition? Do you? What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. What's the definition of this week? <laughs> well. Is it? Are you a you Sunday know, to Sunday yeah, kind of guy, or are you a Sunday to Monday kind of guy? I'm big, saying that the week starts on Monday. That's what I say. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Some people. I mean, have technically, it doesn't, um, according to the calendar. But in in my mindset, Monday is the first day of the week. Yeah, I, I don't. Kevin, Kevin wants to kill us. Right? I don't know. I can't go under. Put a poll here. out, Kevin. Put a poll. It wasn't. Didn't G, didn't God make Sunday the last day of the week? That's where I'm confused. All right. Well, on that note. With no baseball, you can tell that it's obviously driving us crazy. Hope you guys have a great weekend, and uh, you'll hear from us next week. Maybe baseball will be back. Probably not, though. But with that being said, peace out, everyone. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.